Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This podcast is independent and ad-free because of your listener support. Become a listener supporter by going to weirdhistorypodcast.com. It's the most wonderful time of year. It's October. Time for episodes about gross things, horrible stuff, and dead people. And we're starting this year with Franz Josef Haydn. Franz Josef Haydn had a brilliant career when he was alive. The Austrian composer wrote chamber music, operas, string quartets, and helped invent the symphony as we know it. Throughout the 1700s and into the very early 1800s, he was one of the most respected and revered figures in European classical music, and he wrote stuff that you will probably recognize, like this right here. That's the beginning of the fourth movement of Haydn's Symphony Number no. 104, often known as the London Symphony. It's probably Haydn's biggest crossover hit. It's the track of his that gets the most radio play. And you might also recognize this little gem. That's from Symphony Number no. 94, known as the Surprise Symphony, because it has those loud musical stings in that part of it. A lot of Haydn's music has jokes and playfulness in it, and there's a popular story that the Surprise Symphony had those loud musical stings to wake up sleepy audiences. However, when asked about it, Haydn said, no, he just put it in because he thought it was kind of funny. And it is funny. It sounds sort of like a Looney Tunes soundtrack. Most of his work was for a family in Austria called the Esterhazys. They were nobles, and they were able to afford to keep around a fancy composer to make cool stuff for them. But when Haydn died on May 31st, 1809, at the age of 77, it wasn't just the Esterhazy family that was in mourning. Indeed, it was the entire world of European classical music. Again, this guy was big. He inspired Mozart, Beethoven. He even got his own brother Michael into composition. He was the granddad of classical music, and when he was gone, it was a great loss. However, despite Haydn's prominence, and despite the wealth of his patrons, the Esterhazys, his funeral and burial were not lavish affairs. See, in 1809, Haydn's native country of Austria was kind of busy. They were being invaded by Napoleon. So Haydn, who'd been a fancy, important person all of his life, 
wasn't buried in a grand mausoleum. He wasn't buried beneath some great marble monument. Instead, just a simple grave. Here's the thing. Mausoleums? Kind of hard to break into. Graves? Not too hard to dig up. Enter Josef Karl Rosenbaum and Johann Nepomuk Peter. These were two guys who had also worked for the Estrahazy family, and who kind of knew Haydn while he was alive. But, now that Haydn was dead, they wanted to get to know him even better. Through phrenology. And I can't believe I've done over 200 episodes of something called the Weird History Podcast and not yet done a proper show on phrenology. Now, really talking about phrenology and what it was about and what these guys were into would take a while. But very briefly, it was a pseudoscience that was all about matching someone's personal attributes, like intelligence, temperament, mental abilities, morality, etc., to the shape of your head. So, phrenologists would look at the curves and bumps on your skull, and they'd be able to tell if you were a nice person, or if you were really smart, or if you were a brilliant musician who influenced the whole of the European classical world. And Haydn's head was a prized specimen for these two phrenologists. It was just sitting there, in a grave, and they weren't going to let a specimen like that get away from them. So, Josef Karl Rosenbaum and Johann Nepomuk Peter paid a gravedigger to dig up the composer. I want to imagine this happening in some shadowy Eastern European venue with gnarled trees and Gothic cathedrals under the light of a full moon with the sounds of bats, crows, and wolves in the background, maybe the hoot of an owl here or there, but I cannot say one way or another if that's how it played out. Nevertheless, the grave digger did what he was paid to do. He dug up Franz Josef Haydn's body, severed his head, left his wig sitting there in his coffin, and brought the phrenological specimen back to Josef Karl Rosenbaum. Upon receipt of the head, Rosenbaum found his enthusiasm for phrenology put to the test. He'd looked at skulls before, but those had flesh taken off, those had been cleaned. Now he had a weak, old, severed, rotting head in front of him. He rode with the head in a carriage and found it to be a poor travel mate. The flesh was coming off, the eyes were rotting, it stank, and at one point he had to tell his driver to pull over so he could lean out of the carriage and uneat what he had consumed earlier. But he was a devoted phrenologist. He wasn't going to let a little bit of stench and vomit and nausea because of a rotting severed head get in the way of doing weird stuff with the skull of a genius. He survived his carriage ride with the head and got back to his friend's place. Dr. Johann Nepomuk Peter took the head presumably tied on a blood-spattered smock that would do Dr. Frankenstein proud, scraped the soft tissue off of the face, got rid of the weak old rotting eyeballs, scooped out the brain, and got the composer's head ready for its phrenological spotlight. When Dr. Peter presented Rosenbaum with the skull, Rosenbaum 
was overjoyed. He pored over the bumps and contours of the head and declared it to be one of the most perfect noggins that he'd ever seen. In particular, he praised what he called the bump of music, which, presumably, was the part of your head that phrenologists thought music came from. Rosenbaum even made the skull a fancy, shiny black box with a golden lyre on it and showed it off to his phrenology friends, presumably saying, Hey, any of you guys want to see Franz Josef Haydn's severed head? And also adding, It has a pretty great bump of music. Want to check that out? And that, my friends, sounds like a pretty great party. Supposedly, by the way, Haydn wasn't the only dead composer who had to watch his head. Years later, maybe, a gravedigger speaking to Beethoven's biographer claimed he turned down a substantial bribe to dig up that composer's head. But we have no idea if that's true or not. I want to believe it's true. I kind of want to believe that crazy grave-robbing phrenologists were all to rage in Europe during the 1800s. But anyway, by 1820, Europe had calmed down. Napoleon was no longer marauding about killing people. So unlike in 1809, when Haydn's old patron, Prince Nicolas Esterhazy II of Austria, had to bury him in just a normal grave, he now had the opportunity to bury him in a proper fancy genius composer situation. Esterhazy ordered that Haydn be dug up and entombed in a more fitting final resting place. So the gravediggers got to work, they dug up the decomposing composer, and got something of a surprise when they found out that the corpse was missing its head. Haydn's wig was still there, the gravedigger had left that, but the skull and the face and the brain and the eyeballs were completely gone. It did not take that much detective work to figure out where the head was. After all, Josef Karl Rosenbaum was cracking out Haydn's head at parties and showing it off to anyone who wanted to see it. So Prince Nicolas Esterhazy II of Austria eventually got wind that there was a phrenologist who was using the composer's head as a conversation piece at parties, and he sent some of his guys to the house to bring the skull back. Rosenbaum, though, was not going to give up his prized phrenology specimen so easily. When he got wind of the prince's guys coming to his place, he hatched a plan. Rosenbaum knew that the prince's men would search his shelves and cabinets and turn his whole place upside down. So he hid the skull in the mattress, and his wife, Mrs. Rosenbaum, lay upon it. When the prince's guys got there, they started searching shelves, cabinets, all the kinds of normal places where you would keep a skull. But they didn't search the mattress that Mrs. Rosenbaum was lying on. Why? Because she was lying on it, it made it clear that she was, quote, having her days. So the men gave her a wide berth. They did not have a good attitude about menstruation. The prince's guys came back empty-handed, but Esterhazy wasn't going to give up that easily. He knew Rosenbaum had the skull. After all, he got it out and showed it off at parties. Eventually, after more badgering from the prince, the phrenologist said, Okay, fine. Here you go. Here's Haydn's skull. 
The prince took the specimen and was satisfied. The Esterhazy family, they built Haydn a proper fancy tomb, and the body and skull were laid next to each other. Except that's not the end of the story. Rosenbaum didn't give Esterhazy Haydn's real head. Oh no, the phrenologist was not going to let his favorite specimen go. After all, he'd built a fancy black box with a golden lyre on it for that head. Rosenbaum had given the prince the skull of a man who'd been about Haydn's age, and for the rest of his life, Rosenbaum kept Haydn's real skull while the other skull rested in Haydn's tomb. Rosenbaum was free to keep admiring Haydn's apparently perfect bump of music. After Rosenbaum's death, the skull went on a journey. Rosenbaum willed it to Johann Nepomuk Peter, the physician he'd collaborated with to dig up Haydn's grave in the first place, and the guy who'd removed Haydn's face and eyes and brain and all of that. Peter passed it down to another physician. That doctor later gave it to a Viennese organization called the Society of the Friends of Music, and one of their employees would bust out Haydn's skull at parties as kind of a weird thing to do, though with less phrenology this time. So Haydn's skull had a long and storied career of being passed around, handled, and looked at at probably various gatherings of fancy European dudes, which is a weird afterlife for a skull to have, but by 1932, it was an open secret that Haydn's head wasn't in his tomb. The descendants of Haydn's patrons, Paul Esterhazy, wanted to get the head back, and while he was at it, build the composer an even more elaborate tomb on a location where many of Haydn's compositions had premiered. So, he made arrangements to build the tomb, get the skull back from the Society of the Friends of Music, reunite the composer's body parts, and he had a bit of a delay. It was 1932, in Austria. World War II was on the horizon, and even before fighting started, there was a certain amount of strife and difficulty in the region. So, things were fraught, and Haydn's head had to wait further still. His corpse, which had once been chucked into a grave because Napoleon was busy killing people, and his patrons weren't able to give him a proper fancy mausoleum thing, had to endure further indignity because Hitler was busy taking over Germany and Austria, and then killing a bunch of people. By 1954, though, things had calmed down again. The Esterhazy family had the skull, they had the body, they had a new tomb, and they had a big party to reunite all of them. Almost 150 years after he died, Haydn's head and body were together again. But remember that extra skull? That skull that Rosenbaum gave to the prince and said belonged to Haydn? The extra skull that he'd given to fool him? Yeah, it turns out no one knew who that guy was or where that skull came from. It was likely another one of Rosenbaum's phrenology specimens, but no one knew for sure. And no one really knew anything about that guy's identity or what the appropriate thing to do with that skull would be. So they just left it in there. They put Haydn's skull in the tomb next to his body, and they left the other random skull from Rosenbaum 
right next to it. So Haydn's tomb, it just has two skulls in it now. Some random dead guy gets to share a coffin with one of the most important figures in European classical music. Now, Haydn, he had the Esterhazys. They were his patrons. I, listeners, have you. We have started a new membership model, and members who donate every month get access to membership content. So, if you want even more episodes of this show, they exist. They're out there. You could listen to them right now if you go to weirdhistorypodcast.com and sign up to become a member. Also, go on Apple Podcasts, give us stars and reviews. That helps other people discover the show. The show's on social media, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. Go there and click the like button. Follow me on Twitter. I am at Joe Streckert. Thank you all for listening. And next time, even more Halloween-themed October ghoulishness. Talk to you then. Bye. Oh, oh, with you. With you.